All right, Phil Beckner here, ready to get five questions going. This is our first episode. Really excited to get things going with uh, CJ McCollum today. We're going to go through some topics and issues with truth and authenticity. We're going to battle a lot of these things that other guys aren't willing to battle. We're going to talk about some things guys aren't willing to talk about. And we're going to go through some of his separators that are more important than his skills, more important than his talent. Obviously, C.J. McCollum's from Canton, Ohio. He went to Glen Oak High School, and he was a Gatorade Player of the Year in Ohio. The thing that's most profound or special to me about his career, he was a three-star recruit, and he went to Lehigh University. Once he got to Lehigh, he was a two-time Patriot League Player of the Year. He beat uh, Him and his team beat Duke as a number 15 seed, and he had 30 in that game. Then he was picked number 10 by the Portland Trailblazers, and something uh, people have already forgot about him in his career is he was the NBA's most improved player in 2016. So, CJ, man, you know how grateful I am for having you, getting to share part of your story. Really, really appreciate you being with us. No problem. I appreciate you having me on and giving me a chance to, to tell my story to everyone. Absolutely. You know, like we've talked about, we really want to impact and influence a bunch of these younger players in the next generation. We want to provide a resource to coaches and players so they could work on some of these things that are just as important as skill and talent. And obviously, you and I have developed a great relationship. You hate when I brag about you or when I hear all these coaches bragging about you. But man, your story and your journey that you've walked this path, and like I said, doing it from Lehigh beating Duke in the tournament, NBA most improved player, to now one of the top two guards in the NBA, um, it, it, it's going to be a pretty special deal. So are you ready to get this thing going? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Five questions. We keep this short. We keep it simple. They don't want to hear from me. They want to hear from you. So we're going to go through five specific questions about you, your career, and we're going to share it with everybody. Question number one, big-time dudes take advantage of big-time moments. So in your career – the Lehigh-Duke game, you get 30, you're the number 15 seed, you beat them in the NCAA tournament. Game seven in Denver against the Denver Nuggets of the playoffs last year, I was at that game, you take over. You hit daggers down the stretch, big-time player, big-time moment. So what is your mentality that allows you to perform like this in situations like that? It's simple. You know, growing up, I always wanted to be in that position. Uh, be in a position to play on a big stage, be in a position to play against big-time talent, big-time schools. Obviously, now that I'm in the NBA, it's every night. But it's it's more important. It's more prevalent in the playoffs. That's where everyone's watching. That's how you make a name for yourself and kind of establish and solidify who you are as a player. I've always believed that I was a great player. I've always thought that I had the talent to to be an elite player in the league. But I think those are the moments where you show it to everyone. You may believe it deep down, but that's your chance to kind of really solidify who you are. So in college, it was simple for me. I went to a small school. I wasn't seen a lot. I wasn't on TV a lot. And people had this perception of who I was and what I was as a player. But as I progressed, I wanted to kind of solidify what some people thought about me. Some people knew I was a scorer. They knew he could get his own shot, but can he win? Can he lead? Uh, can he take his team to the next level? So playing against Duke in the tournament, uh, I wanted to really show everything. You know, I had six assists. I had six rebounds. My coach was basically like, you know, for us to win, you're going to have to do a little bit of everything. And I told him, I said, if I can get a little bit of help from the guys, um, we can win this game. I said, I'll be able to keep it close. And down the stretch, I'll take it over. And uh, I told my brother, 
you know, I was gonna I was gonna take over the game and win. He was like, I'm not worried about you scoring 30. He was like, just make sure you keep everybody involved enough so that they're comfortable and confident. So that's kind of how you know I went about that game. But if you if you ask my peers, they'll tell you um, I never waver. I never lack confidence. I'm not afraid to fail, and that's why I think I perform best on the biggest stages. I failed before. I've been in a position where things didn't go my way and. It, it never changed who I was as a player. So when I get those moments to take over a game or to hit a big shot or to miss a big shot, uh, I, I don't hesitate. That's awesome. I think too many times, and obviously, you know, I get to work with players at every level now, but so many of them are lacking confidence. You know, just to kind of reaffirm what you said, you said you don't lack confidence because you're not afraid to fail. And so many of those guys are afraid of the result or afraid of failure. And again, seeing you game seven in Denver, man, like you were coming down, you were definitely not afraid to fail. And, and it's like you had your mind made up already. Like you, you knew what was going to happen. Like the result was already there. Yeah. Me and D talked about it before the game. I talked to my family. It's funny. It's a, it's the biggest, probably biggest game of my life. And my family's in the hotel and I tell my dad, I'm gonna come down to the bar and sit with him. He's like, no, you got a game tomorrow. I'm like, it's just a game, Dad. Like I said, the work has already been done. Like I've already prepared. So I go to the bar and I sit down with him and I just have like some water, some orange juice, lemonade, and we just talk. And Denver Nuggets fans are down there talking trash. They're like, game seven, la, 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 la. Like, are you ready? And I was like, you'll see tomorrow. Like, you're going to see if I'm ready or not. And I went and talked to my mom, talked to my dad, went, went, did my normal routine. I think that's that's what's really important. Like people kind of change up who they are for the playoffs. And now, no offense to people that like stay off social media or anything like that. I'm just going to be who I am. I want to get on Twitter and tweet the night before the game, then that's what I'm going to do because my preparation is, is not changing. Like how I think about myself, how I view myself is never going to change. So when game seven came, I did what I always do. I FaceTime my girl in the morning, go through my normal routine, eat my breakfast, and then I go to work. I was actually on social media in the locker room before the game. I got my, it was Mother's Day. So I got my Mother's Day post in. I was on the table getting stretched. I called my grandma. It was just a normal day for me. And I think that's what, that's what makes players special. And I think that's what makes me special is that Every day is the same. My mood is the same. How I act is the same. Whether I'm scoring 30 or I, or I have 15, I still believe that I'm unstoppable. I really believe that. That's awesome. I'll tell you what, I coached Division One for 10 years, and I stay in touch with a lot of these college coaches. One of the main reasons they're not recruiting guys is because they're moody, they're imbalanced, they're, they're not the same every day. They don't know what they're, they're going to be able to count on. So, um, again, th th this interview is about truth, authenticity, you know, addressing some of these issues people don't want to talk about and uh, can't, can't thank you enough for that. So right into question two, and this is where it gets tough. And um, you know me, like, and, and I think I could relate to you a little bit. I don't care. I am who I am. But um, th this question, a lot of people probably don't want to ask you. CJ, you are viewed as one of the best two guards in the NBA, and sometimes you don't get the credit or accolades you deserve especially compared to some other guys in your position. How do you handle that? It used to bother me when I was a younger player in the league. Like I used to kind of compare myself to other players, look at their statistics, look at how much money they make. I, I looked at everything and kind of analyzed it. And as I matured and grew older, you kind of understand none of that stuff matters. Um, I still watch a lot of the, the best two guards in the league. Like I'm a big fan of book. I watch a lot of Bradley Bill, I watch James L I watch all those guys and not to compare myself, but to watch as a, as a player, what can I take from their games? How can I kind of evolve as a player? What can I steal? 
And as I've gotten older, I realized a lot of that stuff doesn't matter. How I view myself is what's most important. And it's perception. Like I went to a small school. I'm from Canton, Ohio. I was 5'2 as a freshman. Why would I get caught up into what people think about me when people have always thought the least of me, right? Like people didn't think I was good enough to start on my varsity team. Didn't think I was good enough to to go to a division one school. Then when I went to a division one school, oh, there's no way he'll go pro. No one's ever gone pro before. Then I get to the league and it's can he create for himself. Can he create for others? Can he create efficiently? Then I started scoring efficiently and they said, well, can he make people better? So there's always going to be naysayers and, and people who doubt you. But I always say comparison is a thief of joy. So I don't compare myself to people anymore. I have this expectation of who I need to be as a player. I work towards that every day. I strive for greatness and I understand the value of, of what I have to offer to a franchise, not just my franchise, but any franchise. And I think there's a, a level of respect that comes from me to my franchise and, and the Portland Trailblazers to myself. And they rewarded me handsomely. They paid me a lot of money and I've rewarded them with elite level play, especially in the playoffs when it matters most. So for me, it's simple, man. If you would have told me that I would be a starting two guard in the league and people would debate about whether or not I'm an all-star, people would debate about uh, whether or not I'm the best two guard in the league. I would say, that sounds about right. It sounds like I did what I was supposed to do. And, and as a player, I'm going to continue to do that. So that I'm continue to, so I'm continually talked about in those types of lights and in those conversations, you know, it's one thing to be paid well. It's another thing to play well. And I want to make sure that I'm still continuing to do both. Wow. As a coach, like I can't believe, uh, or I can't even guess how many coaches are going to be clipping that and sending that to a lot of players because what you just described to me, and I don't know if I've even ever expressed this to you personally until hearing it now, but your self-security, your maturity really, really, really separates you with that. And that's why you continue to stay one of the best two guards. And I think too many other players out there, other coaches are, are wavering in insecurity and immaturity, and that's really, really, really holding them back. So, man, again, just how real you are, I, I appreciate that. Question number three out of five questions. So you are a uh, you're you're a workout junkie. You're addicted to the work for sure. I've been lucky enough to work with you a few times, which uh, has meant a, a ton to me in your career. You've worked out with other trainers. You've had some of the best player development coaches, maybe in the NBA, work with you on your NBA staffs. So now there's a ton of players and coaches out there always looking for someone to help make their players better. And I want to hear from you, and I know a lot of the listeners want to hear from you. So whether trainer, workout guy, coach, what do you look for when you are trying to find a coach or person to help get you better? That's a great question. I think as I've kind of progressed into the league, you kind of figure out, you know, what you need as a player. Not that you have the game figured out, but you know what you need. Some people think that you need to put in 90 minutes. Some people say an hour. Some people say two hours. Some people say you need to count your shots. There's all these theories about what a player needs, but personally and individually, you have to figure out what, what's best for you. So what I've done throughout my career is I've worked out with different guys and I've kind of picked their brain and, and studied how they train, what they train and, and why they train that way. And, it, and it's helped make me a better player. Obviously, I spent a lot of time with Chris Brickley in New York. I spent a lot of time with, with Remy. I spent some time with you. You break down my shots during the season and still refuse to take my money. but I like to be around people who are obsessed with the game, right? Obsessed to the point where like, sometimes I dream about things, you know, and I had this talk, I had this talk with a lot of very successful people and they say, 
you know that you're really in love with the process and in love with what you do when you have dreams about it and you have to wake up in the middle of the night and jot it down, right? So sometimes I have thoughts about maybe it's a move, maybe it's a workout, maybe it's I missed a shot or I made a shot or it's an investment idea. Uh, it's, a, it's a theory, maybe something I want to create. And I have to wake up out of my sleep to jot it down, put it in my notes, email it to myself, whatever. I like to be around those types of people. I might get a text at 2 a.m. or 3 a.m. from a guy I've worked with. Like Brick might be, Brick has broke, broken down every possession that I played this last season, every minute that I played, right? This is obviously um, someone who loves the game. Like you watch every shot I shoot and you can tell me if I miss left, right, long, short, why I missed. Am I, am I following through completely? Was I ready to pre-catch? Was I lazy? Was I relaxed? So I like people who are obsessed with the game the way I am, right? To the point to where when I was in college, I used to, I would go out, right? And my dad would always call me and say, I don't know why you're going out right now. Like when you get to the NBA or if you get to the NBA, the parties will be that much more fun. And I used to say, no, you're right, dad, but I want to live both lives. So I would go out. And then when I got back, I would go to the gym at 1.30. You know what I'm saying? Because I would feel like I, 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 uh, I would feel like I was cheating myself by going out and partying with my friends and not working. So I would go out, not drink, and then go work out. So, like, I want people to be around me that are obsessed with the game is, is my main point of view. Regardless of their, their background, regardless of their net worth, regardless of who they've worked out with, I want to be around people that are obsessed because that always rubs off. And, and people that are obsessed with the game genuinely love the game are ones that are going to really help you and, and tell you when you're doing things wrong. So I only shot, like, what, 38% from three this year, right? So... When, when someone's breaking down my shots, like say you break down my shots, you can tell me if I missed left or right. I shot 56 or 50, I shot 56% from three in the corners. So if I shoot 56% from three in the corners, I only got to shoot like 35 from above the arc or around the arc to shoot 40. So where's the, where's the difference at? The difference is that I missed a lot of open shots because I was too relaxed, it was too comfortable. You know what I mean? I made more contested shots because I was locked in. Like, and I have to get to the point where I'm always locked in. I want people to be able to hold me accountable and tell me that. And the, and the people that I work with, you, Bricks, the Remy's, everybody that I work with holds me accountable. If I got my ass busted, they're going to tell me, like, yo, he was, he was going at you. You know what I'm saying? I don't want people to shy away from constructive criticism. And if they do shy away from it, I don't want to be around them. That's awesome. I think that goes back to, too, like why you perform the way you do in those big games, game seven and, you know, the NCAA tournament is because of your preparation and, and you are an obsessed individual. You're a guy who wants to be held accountable. And, and I think that's one of the biggest things. You, you worked out with me and, you know, some of our other guys, and we're going to hold dudes highly accountable. And if you don't want to do it that way, don't work with us because everyone knows if you're not going to do it that way, you're probably not going to get the results you want. And uh, the, the one thing, only 38% from three. I think a lot of guys <laughs> would, love to, would love to have that. I'm an elite shooter. I should be at 40 every year. And that just shows you that I have to be more locked in. I got to get my reps. And I didn't even talk about Nate and DV. So with, with DV, you talk about a guy that always holds you accountable. Always. You know what I'm saying? To the point where it's like, this is what you have to do if you want to be successful. And he always used to say it. Everybody can't be great. And I used to tell him the world needs average people. I used to tell him, like, Every, you're right, but the world does need average people. It keeps the balance in the world. And he would always say, pick a side. Like, what do you want to be? You want to be great? You want to be elite? Or are you okay with being average? And I think for Nate, the accountability factor has been huge for me, holding me accountable. When I make an elite play, he tells me that's an elite play. 
that's that's big time. That's next level stuff. When I'm not playing as well as I should, he holds me accountable. We watch the film. You need to be in the stands here. You need to be talking here. Why aren't you keeping everybody engaged of all? This is a great aspects of leadership that you're showing. When Dame's not playing, you lead more. When he is playing, you lead less. You have to keep that. You have to keep the same mentality, the same approach. So those are the type of people who are going to be great at what they do because they care. And they care enough to tell you, they care enough to break stuff down to the point where we watch film pregame, we watch film postgame. I can send him clips. If I text him a Larry Bird quote right now from, from the Jordan, the last dance last night, he would respond and know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, those are the type of people I like to be around who are obsessed. And, and that's why I've become a, a pretty good basketball player. Well, you're more than pretty good, number one. But number two, that's why we're doing this. Like these five questions is because so many guys want to just go work on their skill level or rely on their talent, and they don't understand the mindset, the habits, the discipline, the high levels of accountability that it takes for you to get there. And um, obviously, DV and Nate, some people don't know who they are. They, you know, they were both on staff with the Trailblazers. DV, DV's with Minnesota now, but they're two of the best coaches in the league. Question number four, and I, and I love this question. I've been really excited to ask you this question because you were uh, National Player of the Year, Gatorade Player of the Year in, um, in Ohio, three-star going to Lehigh. Is that correct? Yes, three-star going to Lehigh, Gatorade Player of the Year, runner-up Mr. Basketball. Jared Selinger stole my Mr. Basketball, and I'll never forget it. <laughs> and it's still bugging you. That, that's special. Okay, so how about this? Here's a question. You, you know me. I, w- I work with players at every level, some of the best high school kids, some of the best college kids, some of the best in the NBA. I'm working in an elite camp. I'm not going to tell you which one it was. There were five players there at this elite camp, and there were five of the like top-ranked players too, not necessarily one, two, three, four, five in the country, but they were up there. And they said, Phil, during the development time, there's an extra time all these kids could work. We definitely want you to you know, help these guys a little bit more. Concentrate on these guys a little bit more. True story, here's what happens. Out of those five, only three show up for the three days of extra development time. And it was the same three each day. And the two that didn't show up were actually the two most highly ranked out of that group. So if I tell you that, like, what advice are you giving to those kids who didn't show up? What are you going to tell them? I mean, honestly, like, you, you asked me about this before, and I told you, and I would just keep it candid. I would hope that they continue to not show up so that when they get to the league and they have to play against me, they're not ready. You know what I'm saying? Like, they won't be ready to play at, at, an, at an elite level and sustain it because they already think they're great. They already think that they've made it. They think they've arrived because they're they're blue chip players. And that's one of the reasons why I'm thankful I had the path that I that I took because I was envious of those players. I wasn't even invited to those types of things. So the fact that they were invited and didn't show up shows you their mindset and their mentality. And it's it's crazy because that it seems like they lost their chip. The chip is gone already, and you haven't even become a millionaire yet. So imagine how they're gonna act when they get money. And that's how you define greatness. When you can make money, be at a certain level, and still want to work, Damian Lillard, hundreds of millions of dollars, still has elite level work ethic. Kevin Durant, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, still works. LeBron, the best player in the league, still outworks 440 out of 450 players. Easy. You know what I'm saying? He's still lifting every day. He's still approaching the game with a certain type of mentality. Steph Curry, the best shooter to ever touch a basketball, still shoots every day. You're talking about elite players who have everything they've ever wanted in life and still show up for extra work. 
Kobe Bryant, 5 a.m., 4 a.m. workouts. You know what I'm saying? These are guys who really want it. And I think those players, either they think they got it all figured out or they're confused and they're trying to find themselves. Either way, it's not going to cut it in this league because you only got three years to really solidify who you are as a player. And I got this picture in my house from from rookie, uh, rookie transition. I have it signed. It has every player that was drafted in, in second round, first round. And I have it signed by every player. And I walk past it once a week, once a week to remind myself, like, that's where you were at. Look who's, on, who, who's in this picture. Who's still in the league now, six, seven years later. Out of all those players, out of all those players, there's not a lot of guys left. And the ones that are left aren't on the same team. So that kind of tells you the, the, the turnaround in this league. So for those guys that didn't make it, they got a lot to learn, a lot to see. When they get to the league, they're going to get their ass busted because this guy's waiting for those, those kids that you know, feel like they have arrived, that feel like they're elite, that feel like they're really nice. They're going to come to the league and the Patrick Beverly's of the world who had to get it out of the mud, the ones that was overseas, the players that, you know, like for me, I took ice baths and trash cans. I'll never forget it. So, like, I was envious of those players. And the fact that they're, they're able to go to these types of things and won't take the extra work, won't do the extra work, shows you what type of player they are and shows you how they're going to pan out. Absolutely. And that's why we want to do this, too, because like you said, and I'm not sticking up for them because, you know, I'm hard charging, hard driving sometimes, but some of them are confused and they don't know any better. So that's why we wanted to start this project of five questions, you know, from Be Better, Be Different and, and really help some of these kids educate, inform and inspire them with guys like you and other players in the league who, who've done it, you know, uh, the right way and the successful way. They, they seem like followers and, I, and a lot of a lot of the younger generation is, you know, they're trying to do what's cool, what they what they perceive as cool. Hard work is not cool. It's just what you have to do if you want to be great. Like some people's parents work in two, three jobs. It's not cool. It's what they have to do to take care of their families. If you want to be great and lead at something, you have to be willing to go the extra mile to do extra measures. Otherwise, you're going to get caught. You're going to get passed up. Jordan talked about in the last dance. He referenced the best player in the world, arguably the best player to ever touch a basketball. He was a rookie. He was knocking on the door, and he heard stuff. And they was like, oh, it's just Jordan. Let him in. Jordan walked in the room. You know, it was cocaine, weed, girls, all that stuff, alcohol, whatever. Jordan was like, ah, no, I want no parts of this, and walked away. The players that are confused, don't know who they are, are the players more susceptible to getting caught up in that life. Not just the drugs, but the women are not working hard, oversleeping, missing shoot-around, being late as a rookie. Those are things that are unacceptable and give you a bad label. And it could be a good, good kid who is just lost. And you get lost too early in the league, it's over for you. And the turnaround is crazy. You can be a lottery pick. How many lottery picks get drafted or out the league within three years? It happens every time. It's not because they're not good enough. It's the mentality. That's what we're trying to share. That's why we're trying to impact a bunch of kids. And, man, just how real you're being, that is freaking big time. Like, I, I can't wait to share this because uh, – I don't know how we're going to keep it all to one segment. We might have to do like a two-part deal because you're uh, you're crushing it, and I, and I truly mean that. So the, you actually set me up great for the last question, and um, you know the phrase like it's a phrase I've lived by, a phrase we kind of you know trained by different guys I've worked with. I always say you either got to be better or you got to be different to be successful or to win a game, whatever it may be. And if you're not better, if you're not the best one, you, you have to be different. You have to train different, go through things different. Just kind of like you're a great example of it. Dame is. Um, but then when you are better, 
and you are different, then you're elite. That's why you're an elite two guard, or that's why Dame's an elite point guard, because you guys are better than 90% of the competition at your position, and you're also different than them as well. So in your words, I ask every player the same question. What does it mean to be better, and what does it mean to be different to you? To me, I'll start with different because I didn't start off better. So like you said before, to be different means to me – you got to be willing to do different things. You got to be willing to experiment with workouts. You got to be willing to go the extra mile. And even when people tell you it's not possible or people try to hold you back, you got to be willing to, to persist and fight through it. Being different from my brother and I met sneaking into the gym, sneaking into our high school gym, right? They used to kick us out, tell us you can't shoot after hours. Even though we went to the school, there was a little bit of issues with we were black at a white school. So they didn't want to see us in the school after hours, they would try to kick us out janitor stuff like that. So we used to put rocks in the doors throughout. We would leave one door like blatantly open as if we like, we just slipped up and she would find that one and close it. But we would have two other doors that we, we just slightly propped open so we could get back in the gym at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. when she was out of the building. And the janitors were mostly minorities. So they messed with us. They used to be like, hey, like, don't worry about it. Like, knock and we'll let you in. So that, that's the route we were willing to take to be different, whatever it took. Even though she didn't want us shooting in the gym, even though that the school didn't want us shooting in the gym, we figured out a way to still get in to get our reps up. That was what we, what we did that was different. Some people might have just quit. They might have been like, you know what? She don't want me to shoot. Forget it. But we figured out a way to still get it done. In terms of being better, once I got better from the work I did that was different, I became a good player. Right. So I, I went from six points a game in high school to 25. That's a starter. I broke the school record my first career start because my work ethic was so different. When I became better, everything just kind of aligned and I was able to really separate myself from everyone. And once I got to college, I continued to work differently, but I was already better. I was in a position where I was already I had the tools, I had the skills, but my work ethic still was aligned with. It was still it was still the same. I still worked like I was poor. I was poor. <laughs> I still worked as if, you know, I wasn't a good player. I wasn't I wasn't averaging 20 as a freshman. I worked like I was averaging five. And as I got through that, I got to the NBA and I didn't play. So I was better, but not playing. So in my mind, I still wasn't good enough. So I just continued to work, continue to put the time in. I would I would spend a lot of hours in the gym, late nights in the gym, breaking down film figuring out ways to to become an elite player. Because I thought I was elite, but no one else knew. So if you, you are what you think you are, regardless of what the world thinks. So, like, in my mind, I was kind of, like, on the fence. Like, am I an elite player? So my work ethic had to be even higher so that I still had the confidence. So I just continued to work. And now i got hundreds of millions of dollars. i got guaranteed money. I'm a great player in this league, but my work ethic is still different. I'm still willing to do whatever it takes to ride this wave. I want to ride the wave until I can't anymore. Then I'm out the league and I'm happy with it because I'm going to do everything in my power for these 10, these 15, these 16, 17, however many years it is. I'm going to do everything in my power to maximize this, to be better, to be different, to maximize it until I can't no more. And then I go to be being better and different in the working world. Like I said, we're trying to impact a, a bunch of players, coaches, really want to impact and influence them at a high level. And uh, you, you're, you know that phrase means a lot to me, means a lot to the guys we train with. 
And uh, you, you couldn't be a better of example of it. And, and that's why we wanted to start, you know, session one off with you, this first interview with you. And so if anyone's interested in, you know, joining us or learning more about being better and being different, you could visit the website, BeBetterBeDifferent.com and click join now at the top right. And that's also where you could find the other audio files and resources that will be coming from future players. Um, again, just to hit some hard, truthful, authentic topics and, and hear these guys' stories because we really believe this stuff matters just as much as skill development and player development, if not more. So, CJ, man, you are a stud. We really, really appreciate it. You, uh, Your story's amazing. You're amazing, both as a person, a player, and as a leader. So uh, thank you for sharing all that, and thank you for joining us. No problem, man. I appreciate you having me on. Keep inspiring greatness and bringing greatness out of people. And uh, it's almost it's sad to see you train all these young kids because one day they're going to be, uh, be in the league and they're going to have all your tools. And they're going to be elite shot makers and elite players, and I'm going to be on my way out. So uh, hopefully hopefully, I can hold them off for as long as possible before it's time for retirement. I, 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 think, uh, I think I'll be retired by then, or I'll be, uh, I'll be training Baby Dame and Baby CJ by then. I'll, I'll get the next two uh, best franchise players in history and get those young guys ready. <laughs> 